Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. What are your principles and what are your priorities? What are the things that are so important to you that you put them above other things? Is it truth? You say, I am a person of truth. I will stand for what's true and I will not compromise on what is truth. Or is it maybe unity? I want to get on with other Christians and other people. Or maybe it's outreach. You say, I'm willing to change and bend some of the rules as long as I can reach people for Christ. In Acts chapter 15, we have the most amazing story. You may have skipped over the story and thought it was unimportant and uninteresting, but I want to show you it is one of the most important and beautiful stories in the book of Acts. In Acts 15 and verse 1, it says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. What's it talking about? Judea is Jerusalem. When it says came down from Judea, it means in altitude down to Antioch. But on a map, they went up from Jerusalem up to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were living. Came down and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. They were saying, in order to be a Christian and go to heaven, you have to follow the Old Testament laws as well as the New Testament laws. Circumcision, keeping the Sabbath on a Saturday, not eating pork, all the different rules that are in the Old Testament as well as the moral rules and the ceremonial rules. You say, what are the, what are the two types of rules? Well, the ceremonial ones were the ones to do with the temple. Um, for instance, the Sabbath, circumcision, sacrifices, not eating various things. Those were ceremonial. And then the moral laws were things like do not steal, do not murder, all of those kind of moral laws. And they said, you must keep all of the laws in the Old Testament. Now that's relevant because we talk about these kind of things often. And you may have had people come to you and say, are you keeping the Sabbath on a Saturday? Uh, whatever. Are you keeping the feasts? Um, are you eating pork? Various different things. And these people came. Now, should Paul and Barnabas just accept them or what are they going to do about it? Verse 2, therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So Paul and Barnabas fight with these people. They decide that this is a matter that is worth standing their ground on. Now, why did they think this particular matter was so important? There could have been many others. We're going to see this today. Um, it's, it's really so important, my friend. It really is. So verse three. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. They caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Can you see this dis dispute? It's very clear. Some of them are saying, yes, Jesus died for our sins, but unless you follow a whole lot of rules, especially the Old Testament Jewish rules, you are not truly saved. Others are saying, no, Jesus died for us. And a Gentile 
who doesn't know the Old Testament, who becomes a Christian, does not need to follow the Old Testament rules. Wow. But is it just the ceremonial ones? Is it the moral ones as well? Uh, How do we decide? How important is this? Verse 6, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, (laughs) Peter rose up and said to them, So much dispute. I believe this went on for days. And it's interesting that dispute and discussion, disagreement, is not necessarily a bad thing. We mustn't think that church needs to always be like heaven. We want it to be like heaven. I want church to be like heaven. But the reality of the New Testament and the book of Acts shows us the reality of life is that we live in a world where we're not in heaven yet. And we have different ideas and we will offend each other. Jesus said offenses will come. And so there is room for dispute and debate, but it should always be done in love. We can strongly disagree, but we can do it with respect, humility, and love. At the end of a lot of discussion, where some people would have been putting one side of the argument, somebody else another side, they would have been quoting Bible verses, they would have been standing up and pontificating. Some people would have said, I've got something to say, and they would have talked for a long time. Others for a short time, some emotional dis- uh, sharing into the, into the discussion. There would have been all these different inputs into it. But at the end of it, Peter rose up and he said to them, you know, I went to the Gentiles. Do you remember the story that we read earlier in Acts chapter 10, where Peter is praying and he sees the vision of the the different foods coming down and God says to him, kill and eat. He says, no, I would never eat something that the Old Testament forbids. And God said, I've called it clean and go to the Gentiles. And so Peter describes this and he says, In verse 8, so God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, We shall be saved in the same manner as they. Peter is being very clear here. He says the Gentiles got saved. They hadn't been following the Old Testament rules. God poured out his Holy Spirit on them and showed that they were saved. And they are saved by grace and by faith. And that is the same way we are saved. They are saved. We are all saved in the same way, not by keeping Old Testament rules. So everyone's had their input. Peter, who carries a lot of weight says his part of the discussion. Verse 12, Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. So then Barnabas and Paul give their side of the story. Now notice that the people who were the legalists, the people who wanted the Old Testament to be kept, had their say in this discussion, and they were part of the debate. They didn't split. They came along and they argued and they listened, and everybody had a say. And I promise you it was heated, 
and there was strong emotion because these are important matters. They're saying, how does a person get to heaven? You can't get more important than that. And then in verse 13, and after they had become silent, James answered. Now, who's James? We know it's not the James who was one of the 12 apostles because he has been killed. We've seen that earlier in the book of Acts. So this is James, the brother of Jesus. Jesus had several brothers and sisters, and one of them was named James. He wrote the book of James at the end of our Bible, and he was leading the church in Jerusalem. They had lots of discussion. They had many people's input. They shared leadership. But when there was a decision that needed to be made that they couldn't make by consensus, there was one person who said, this is the decision we're going to make. And it was James. He starts off by quoting Old Testament scriptures, saying that the Gentiles will be saved. Uh, he quotes from Amos, um, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things will come in. So he, he says the Gentiles will be saved. And then in verse 19, he says, therefore, I judge or I decree that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. James makes a decision. He's listened to everybody's opinions. They've all had their chance to speak as powerfully as they can. And James says, this is what we're going to do. He uses scripture as the starting point, And then he says, we're going to do certain things. And it's quite surprising the answer that he gave, because he could have prioritized truth, the truth that we're saved by grace through faith, which Peter said, which Paul said many times in the Bible, and which James obviously believed because he said, we're not going to trouble them that they have to obey a whole lot of things. He could have said, the truth is you're saved by grace through faith. That's it. No more discussion, no more debate. But he added some requirements. Now, why did he add them? And there are four requirements, and they're so interesting. He said, um, we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols. So the people would, the Gentiles would worship these idol gods, and they would sacrifice their foods to these idols, and then it would be sold in the marketplace. Now, for Jews, that was extremely offensive to eat food that had been sacrificed to an idol was just a terrible thing for a Jewish person to do. But Jesus had said in the Gospels, in Mark chapter 7, all foods are clean. And we know that he said that to Peter as well. And yet, James says, no, food sacrificed to idols. You must abstain from that. Now, why would he pick that one thing? And then he says, from sexual immorality, fornication, sexual immorality. Now, again, why pick that one moral law out of all the many? What about murder? What about theft? What about all the different things, lying, all these different things? From things strangled and from blood. And this, again, is going back to Leviticus 17, the Jewish laws, their food laws said you mustn't eat food that's been strangled and you mustn't eat food that has the blood still in it. 
Now, why would James pick these four things? We get a strong clue from the very next thing he says. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogue every Sabbath. He says there are Jewish people in every city that you will be going to. And it's not, this wasn't the whole world that they were making this decree for. We're going to see later that they they sent this letter to a very small region. It was Antioch where the problem had arisen and Cilicia and Syria. Um, So it was close by, just a a localized area. But he says there are Jewish people in all of those cities where you are going to be giving this message. And so we need to make this decision. Now, I find it so interesting that all the debates are not written down here. Just Peter's, a little bit of Paul and Barnabas's and James's final decision are written down for us. But all the debates and, and points of view are not given here. And yet... It's important for us to try to pick out how they came to this decision. And Paul was very affected by this because later on in Paul's travels in other regions, not just around Antioch, but when he went to Corinth and when he wrote to Rome, he mentioned these principles as well. And Paul says, I don't have time to read it all to you now, but in 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Food sacrificed to idols, an idol is is a demon, but it's nothing. God owns the whole world. You can eat food sacrificed to idols. You mustn't participate in the idol worship ceremony, he says, but you can eat that food if it's sold in the market with no problem. But if you're eating with someone whose conscience is offended by you eating, he says, then I'll never eat meat again. He says, um, you can do it. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not by obeying the Old Testament laws, but the law of love, loving your brother, comes above your freedom to eat whatever you want. In Romans 14, Paul says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things or disputable matters. He says there are some things where we can, now listen to me please, he says there are some things where we can as Christians have different opinions and it doesn't break fellowship with it, with each other. It doesn't mean we no longer fellowship. He says for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. He says, there are some disputable things that are not worth planting a flag and making a fight over. Whereas Paul was willing to fight over salvation by grace through faith alone. He was willing to fight and go to Jerusalem and fight over it because that was not a disputable thing. We're not saved by doing good works. We're saved by grace through faith. The blood of Jesus is enough. I don't need to obey the Old Testament rules. In fact, I could never obey all the laws. It's grace through faith. That is something that is undisputable. But he says, after they're saved, some people's conscience says to them, I can't eat meat. Or I, he goes on to explain some other things. Verse 5, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, 
for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. What he's saying is there are disputable matters. Some people say the Sabbath is Saturday. Some people say it's Sunday. Some people say I must keep this particular Jewish feast. And he says it's disputable. You may believe that, you may not, but it's not a salvation issue and it's not worth breaking fellowship over. He goes on a little bit later to say, verse 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So he says, there is no unclean food. Food sacrificed to idols, food with blood in it, food uh, strangled, it's not unclean. He says, I'm convinced of that. But then he says, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What he was saying is that unity and love is more important than disputable matters. And yet there are some undisputable matters which he is willing to stand up for. And there's a couple of other very important and interesting things here. Just some some wonderful points that come out to me. I'm going to talk about the sexual immorality thing in a moment, but before I get there, let me just make some emphases here. The first is that scripture is so important. They went back to scripture and when they had to get a decision, they went back to Jerusalem to get James and the, and the council's opinion. We don't really have a Jerusalem anymore. And in fact, as we go on to the rest of the New Testament, we find that they never again went back for disputes to Jerusalem. Antioch was a church plant out of Jerusalem. And so they went back to their mother church to get a decision when there was a debate. But from then onwards, they never went back to Jerusalem. And in fact, we see that individual churches had an apostolic oversight who they referred to when they had doctrinal disputes and they had a question. But that apostolic oversight changed from time to time. And in fact, in 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul says to some people, I am an apostle, to others I'm not. It wasn't a a position of, of control. It was more they referred to somebody with a gift if they had a dispute and they had a question. And then in Revelation, John the apostle seems to have some kind of apostolic oversight over seven cities and he's writing to them messages from Jesus. But they don't go back to Jerusalem. They go back to the Bible and they have somebody who they can refer to and say, what's the story with this? And I believe every church should be independent, making their own decisions, but have someone they can call on if they need some doctrinal input to help them make a decision. That's the first point. The second point is the priority list. Truth is the top of the pile of priorities. The truth about salvation, that it is undisputable. We are saved by grace through faith, not by any works, not by any of the Old Testament laws. We are saved by grace through faith. That is undisputable. If somebody doesn't believe that, I can't bend and say it's okay and say I'll have fellowship, you're also a Christian. If they say you have to um, 
obey a whole lot of rules or you have to do certain rituals to get saved. Or they say, um, Jesus' death wasn't enough. You have to add a whole lot of works or Jesus isn't the only way. That is an undisputable fact. But below that, there are many disputable, disputable facts. And love. The desire to love is what is so important. The desire to have unity, the, the need to include and to reach out. He says in all these cities there are Jews. It wasn't just for Christian unity, it was for outreach. They were saying when we're reaching out, we need to be sensitive without compromising on the essentials of Bible truth, that it's grace and faith alone. But there are other things we can compromise on to reach out to people. And so we see in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul is speaking about his outreach. And he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. You know, Paul knew that he was free from the Old Testament laws. In Galatians, he really rebukes them for going back to the Jewish Old Testament laws. He knew he was free from them, but he was willing to fulfill them if it meant he would win, win some of the Jews. And so in Acts 16, he gets Timothy circumcised, even though he speaks against circumcision in other places. If it's for winning more to Christ, he says, I'll follow the laws. In Acts 21, he goes through a whole lot of Old Testament rituals just to be able to win more people. To the Jews, I became as a Jew to win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. He says, I'm willing to compromise on so many things to reach people for Christ. Uh, to those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now I do this for the gospel's sake. He says, I'm willing to do anything except sin, we know clearly that he says, I'm not willing to sin, but I'm willing to compromise on all these different disputable matters to win some. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10, Romans 14, he says, I'm willing to compromise on all sorts of things to keep unity and love and not to offend my brothers, but on salvation by grace through faith. Jesus is the only way I cannot compromise and on sin, I will never sin. I wonder if that's helpful to you. And now what about the sexual immorality thing? Because there are so many moral rules in the Old Testament that carry through to the New Testament. Murder, cheating, adultery, all these different things. We just consider them sins. Even if the Old Testament had never been written, we know. In Romans 1 and 2, Paul says that the, the law of God is written on our consciences. We know that certain things are wrong. We know that it's wrong to cheat and steal and kill. Because we instinctively know, do to others as you would have others do to you. We know that if it hurts me, it hurts others. And so those are moral laws that we know we must keep. But sexual immorality is one that in some cultures is not considered wrong. Murder is pretty much always considered wrong. Stealing is always considered wrong. And the, the moral laws of the Old Testament carry through to the New Testament very strongly, and they're repeated and reiterated in the New Testament. Whatever is morally wrong in the old, let me just be clear, ceremonial laws do not carry through because Jesus has 
fulfilled all of those. The book of Hebrews tells us he has fulfilled the sacrifice system, the Sabbath system, all the different ceremonial laws Jesus has fully fulfilled. But the moral laws of what God expects of us, not to become a Christian, not to get to heaven, but to continue living as a Christian, we will start to change and fulfill the moral laws. But sexual immorality was the one thing in the culture that they were writing to which was not considered wrong. People could sleep with whomever they wanted. Uh, Any type of sexual practice was considered absolutely okay. There was no guilt. There was no penalty for it. It was considered absolutely acceptable. And because of that, they felt this is the one moral law that we need to reiterate because there is a chance that people will not understand. And so Paul, again and again in his travels to Gentile lands, uh, reiterates the moral laws. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, don't be deceived, an immoral person will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he lists um, the, the immoralities that we might think are okay, but he says they're not okay. If you are living continually in these immoral practices. You might have been saved by grace through faith. You might have believed in Jesus. But if you're still living like this, then it shows that there's something wrong with your Christianity and you may not be a Christian or you may not get to heaven. We're saved by grace, not by works. But once we are saved, we change and we start to live for Christ. So what's the takeaway from this? There are principles and priorities. There are some things that are absolutely true and we must stand for them. Grace, faith, the Bible. There are other things which are disputable, which we can disagree on and we should value unity. There are things we should be willing to change to reach the lost, but we need to know which things are unchangeable and which things we can move around with. And at all times, we must be thinking, how do I love others? How do I reach the lost? How do I honor scripture? And this decision shows how they came to that final conclusion. I pray for you, my dear friend, Lord Jesus, please help us to prioritize what is true, what is important, and to be willing to be flexible on the doubtful, disputable matters for the sake of love and unity, and help us to prioritize reaching the lost at all costs. Help us to do anything, anything except sin to reach the lost. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.